everybody. Welcome to our show. I'm Liz. And I'm Taylor. This is a podcast for and about the town we love. And now we're talking Darian. Hello and welcome. Today is August 1st, 2022. And we were so lucky tonight. We just wrapped an interview with S.E. Cup. And if you're not familiar with her, she is, I mean, she is a force in the media world. This she's woman an icon. Is, yeah, she's on TV. She's on CNN. Um, she is an accomplished author. She's written a couple of books. She's got columns, been with the New York Times, Daily News. I mean, I really respect this woman so much. And she's a Darien resident. We met her at the DCA and we were lucky enough to have an hour of her time. I know. I know we really connected with her when we were at the Darien Community, Community Association. We asked her to come on because she really has got a perspective on all things um, that we really wanted to hit. And we did that. I mean, we talked to her about like mental health, you know, things going on in our community that are really unpleasant in her own personal journey, her own mental breakdown she had there. We asked her about like the integrity of journalism or lack of these days and to explain yeah. that to us and what we're missing here. We talked about being famous. We talked to her about... Yeah, I mean, Roe v. Wade. We went down the rabbit hole on a few different things. I mean, even some of the things she suffered as a female journalist, including, you know, events in Hustler magazine. I mean, it, she is a fascinating person and I'm so grateful that she gave us her time. I know, I know. She really did well. So I think you guys are going to enjoy this one. And it, it, the best part is it's coming from someone who lives right down the block from us. So you can really relate to this in, in a way. I mean, to, but um, hope you enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. Essie, I was talking to tonight's sponsor, which is Jameson Riley, is our, uh, a friend, associate, a colleague who runs... Riley Volvo. Riley Volvo. I'm going to Riley Volvo. Are you serious? No way. Yeah, so I have a Volvo and I'm in love with it and I've had it for a hundred years. And I need um I need a new one. And Do I they ever wear out? Don't they run forever? No, it runs forever. <laughs> but I, I, my nanny mostly drives it. I, I just want to get a new a new one. Yeah. Um it's I think it's a two thousand six. Got uh, it. Yeah. So it's got so twenty years left, it's but all, it's worth it. So true. <laughs> <laughs> um but I hope he'll give me a good deal because I, that's where I go for service, and so I'm real familiar yeah. with Riley Volvo right. and I'm um, excited to see what he has. Oh, these are peeps. Yeah. yeah if you don't have a friend in the car business, this is as close as it gets because Jameson and his like brother, cousin, uncle, father, grandfather, like, it's like three generations and they're the most wonderful family. So involved in town and it's a great, great business. I know. They're and to the car business I need, like that's my car. Yeah, that's your car. Perfect. It's car. Well, I told Taylor and I was telling Jameson when he, when he became a sponsor, I'm like, Jameson, I'm full disclosure, I hate buying cars because I hate getting haggled and pressured. And he's like, Liz, yeah. I agree. He's like, I thought the same thing. He's like, and their business model is the exact opposite of that. It's like, yeah, you know, we're here just to help you. If I mean, especially as a woman, don't you feel yes. that way? Like, yeah. I don't know a ton about cars, but pretend I do, like for my <laughs> sake. Like, like you know, flatter me a little bit. But no, it's it's an awful yeah. process. If, if Riley, if you're listening, she knows a ton about cars. So I'm trying to put one over, right? That's right. <laughs> oh, that's so true. But I did tell um, Riley Volvo that you guys were, that you were coming on. And we're like, would you guys want to be a sponsor for SE Cups episode? And they said, heck, no way. Heck yeah. <laughs> they they said, said absolutely not. Oh, this they said should, heck, this yeah. should be our ad. Oh yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and, but we got to get to work here too. All and, right you know, enough of our messing around. Yeah. Um, SE Cup, thank you so much for being our guest tonight. I'm so glad I met y'all. Like, uh, you know, I love this town. And when I heard from DCA that you guys had a podcast and it was going gangbusters, I, I was so excited to meet you. And then we did the thing at the DCA and I got to know you a little bit better. And I'm just so glad to be now in your space. This is really cool. I know. I know. I love how the, the world brings, you get Taylor's play with our mics there. Yeah, no, we're good. We're good. I know. I know. When Taylor, when we first, I mean, thank God to Amy for putting us together in the DCA. And She's it, the best. So the social curation that she does here. And if you guys don't know about the DCA, then my God, go look it up immediately, Daring Community Association. But it's been great getting to know you. And since we left you, I've been emailing you, haven't I? I've been harassing you a little bit. I, I tr mean. I've tried to be good. Listen, I <laughs> admire persistence. And it's Dude. important in this business because Dude. you guys are, you, I mean, you're the host of the show. You're also, I assume, your own bookers, right? Yes. yes. Oh, we you do, it, do all. it all. Actually, let's be clear. Liz does it all. I just show well, up. Someone has to. So I get it. I get the hustle. Well, when I meet someone famous and someone gorgeous, it's like a, I'm doubling down right here. I see. Who are like, you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I know. But no, actually, that is a really good segue because as we, you know, thought about how to intro this episode, I mean, you're beautiful famous on tv written books can you're we writing... do this every night this is <laughs> yeah, the best I know. I know. and you're our neighbor and you're so sweet but 
Um, and a voice, by the way, like a calm, rational voice in a time of crazy media like coverage, I feel like, where it's lost. So like that too resonates with me. Like you're just a very moderate voice. I'm tr- I try. But I try. What's also really cool about you is that you're just human. And if you don't mind, I did do some due diligence on you on the I internet. I hope you did. And, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> hopefully you it's all true on that. I mean, there's so much. No sex tapes, though. Jesse, no oh, sex tapes out there. Liz, <laughs> no, to you. We, can, we'll, we can get into that <laughs> if you want. I there's mean, there's still time. You're young. There's some stuff on the internet about me that uh, it's I not I did not savory. look at anything like that. <laughs> okay. okay. Let's keep it clean. No. I read the, um, the it's spe- I mean, I read a bunch of stuff, but one article you had pinned to your Twitter page. Um, and I'm going to look for the title. You wrote, it was an op-ed, I guess, in the Daily News in 2021, entitled Living with Anxiety and Holding Strong. And you did talk about, you know, the importance of mental health and how you were willing to be open about that mm-hmm. in the hopes of helping destigmatize it. You said you start conversations when we were at the DCA. So start, I start conversations with my therapist says, just to like make <laughs> everyone feel more comfortable. Well, my therapist says that this is really, <laughs> it's a really important, it's, it's cathartic for me to talk normally about mental health and admit to myself, which I hadn't for 20 years, that I'm not okay. And that what I thought I was doing to quote unquote manage my anxiety was not working. But it's also helpful for other people to hear you talk that way. Um, Whether it's a kid who doesn't have the answers and is feeling like there's no hope or there's another adult or family and friends who need to know you're not okay. Like it's just so important that we talk normally about these issues because a lot of us are dealing with stress, anxiety, depression, um, and all of it because it's a it's a stressful time. You know, there's pandemic, politics, yeah. school. Well, you, I mean, it's just all of it. And you really you brought it to life in this piece. And is it okay if I read a quote? Please, from it? sure. It, it's a little bit long, but it's worth reading the whole thing. She says. Then, in the midst of a deadly pandemic, worrying about things we once took for granted, going outside, going back to school, traveling, now had a proper purpose. Indulging my anxieties during COVID felt good and appropriate. Worrying about my job, my kid, my parents, my town, my community, my country, all felt totally deserved. I leaned in. But suddenly, the anxiety I nurtured and cultivated over the years became an absolute monster during this perfect storm. Pandemic, politics, problems. Now, every ambulance I passed was going to my house. Every call was going to be bad news. Every step I was convinced was going to be my last. And in the last paragraph, you just you sign off and you say, even as I write this, I have anxiety over sharing it. I'm not sure what the next days and weeks will bring. Ideally, some relief and clarity, but I know we will get I will get there. Yeah. How wow, so powerful. powerful. That was a rough time almost a year ago today, you know, like almost a year ago this month. It was rough and it hit me like a truck. Well, and here's what I said at the time I I had to. So I have a weekly column and I have to write something. (laughs) It was literally the only thing I could think clearly about. I couldn't think about the news and stories. I couldn't read words on a page. I was that disoriented from this bus that hit me. Um, Bus being COVID or just? No, I had, listen, I had a nervous breakdown. That is the only way I can explain it. I'm getting my nails done. Dude, I'm taking a look at you. I'm thinking there's no way a woman like this has a nervous breakdown. A hundred percent I did. I'm getting my nails done downtown. You look great. Thanks. (laughs) It's a year ago, so these are different, but yes. (laughs) And I'm scrolling through Twitter as I do, as we all do very unintentionally, just because it's there. And I saw an awful video of a kid and it, I had a full panic attack. Couldn't breathe, thought I was dying, had to leave. And for the next three days, I could not get out of bed. I couldn't drive. I, my husband made me go to the grocery store with him, and I couldn't decide to turn left or right. Like, I didn't, my mind was a mess. And the good news is I, it was so bad, I knew I needed help right away. There was yeah. no, like, sleeping this off, right. um, you know, taking something. So... Come the next Monday, I got a doctor. I embarked on um, a mental health treatment plan. I do talk therapy. I got medication. And I've slowly over this past year been working really hard on changing my life. Some of this is is um, contextual in that what I do for a living has a ton of 
anxiety triggers. Right. I right. I see the worst news right. stories. I can't even look at the news or really because it, it makes me anxious. Right. Yeah, the fact well, that you're embroiled in that. Every I don't day. have the luxury, right? Yeah. I mean, right. and I see stuff that doesn't make it to air because it's so graphic. You know, kids in war, and I'm just the worst of all of it. Um, and I've done this for 20 years. And so my coping mechanism, I, I didn't have any. And what I would do is I would like um, kind of obsess over my anxiety and I would catastrophize to the worst possible thing that could happen because I figured I was bargaining in my brain if I thought about the worst thing, the worst thing wouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. And I made myself go through these exercises 24 seven. So finally when I got help and I learned what I was doing to myself. Is there a name for that? Um, well, that particular thing was catastrophizing. Oh. And then I do a lot of transference. When I see a bad news story, yeah. I imagine it happening to me or yeah. my family. Mm -hmm. It could be a world away and like not at all likely to happen, but I put it on like a costume. And I experience the emotional pain of it. And it's it's exhausting. Yeah. Um, and so working with my therapists about why I do that, how I can do what I do for a living while not harming myself in this way. That's all the stuff we're working on on a regular basis. And then some of this is just mom stuff, you know, normal mom guilt and like yeah. mom paranoia. Am I doing the right thing? Um, I have a special needs kid. That's, you know, that's a lot. And He's a superhero and incredible, but you feel, you know, you doubt yourself a lot. Are so you, some of it's just normal shit, you know? Oh, can I say that here? Yeah. yeah, yeah you can. Some of that's just like normal stuff. Treat us like HBO. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about it has helped. It's helped me and I know it's helped other people because I hear from them who are like, Absolutely. I'm going through that too. You but know, wait, for sharing you've it, been yeah. going through therapy for years though, not just this, right? Hadn't you? Or did you just no. start? Oh, you just no. started a year. Like I a did year. therapy as a kid because I had I had a, a, a bad year. Um, like I was 15. Okay. Um, and then no, not since. By I the way, really thought I was doing well. I really did. I thought I was managing. Like what? Like life. I mean, I'm gonna get personal. Like, Go was your marriage good? Is your relationship with your kids good? Does all those things like yes? So on the surface, everything. This is what I'm getting. At. Mm -hmm. On the surface, is everything checking a box? Because when I look at you again, I go back to on the surface, you look fine. I think that's the big dis disconnect we're seeing, like especially around Darian. Everyone looks great. Yes. Everyone's playing the role. Their houses look perfect. They're driving the car. You know, this is what I heard a thousand times. Okay, not you. I couldn't believe yeah. you were going through this because look, you look successful, put together. You my, look, you are successful. My marriage is great. My my home life is great. We okay. go on trips. I love my life and I thought I was happy. Okay. And and I am, but I'm also riddled with anxiety and PTSD from some of the work that I've done. And I've not dealt with it. I've motored through. Yeah. And so I've, you know, had to have very honest conversations with myself. But no, there was no like other Nothing was falling apart in my life. Well, here's the question I have about time that like for as a mom and as a career woman, especially like there, I feel like there's no time, right? Taylor to like to take care of herself. Like I look at Taylor and she's full, I, we're busting to do like even this podcast and she's like a full-time mom. She's working hard and she's doing her, we're trying to like, just we're trying to stay above water. Do you know anyone <laughs> who has all the time in the world for, <laughs> right? I don't know anyone, right? Well, so when do you have time? I feel like there's no time. You have even to have a it. breakdown. I have no time for, I have no time for a breakdown. <laughs> yes. But <laughs> that's what I would have thought. Okay. And then when it happens to you in this debilitating way, you won't survive unless you yeah. address it. The priorities just rearrange. You address it. And look, my husband has been super supportive and we'll do what we got to do. And I also knew that I would do whatever it took. If I want to went on a medication that didn't work, I'd go on a different one. Okay. If I saw a therapist that I didn't like, I'd find another one. There was no doubt in my mind I was going to solve this or get my hands around it because I have to for my family um, and for me. So making um, time every week for therapy, it's a must. It's not optional for me. And I think hopefully you don't get to the point where it's so bad that you come to that realization that you need to make that time for yourself mm -hmm. and get whatever it is you're needing um, because it can be really traumatizing if you let it get that out of hand. Yeah, I mean, I got to admit, like, I feel like we're beyond the, you know, the intensity of the COVID pandemic and people, yeah. I, I feel like I'm expected to be ready to move on. But I was actually just saying to someone the other day that, 
I feel like I'm reacting too strongly to the news still. Yeah. I mean, after Uvalde and then uh, this Danbury story, I mean, I, I cry at work. I I, I just, it's hard to process. So what advice do you have for people who might be listening going? Yeah, that's me. You're not alone. I don't have the luxury of turning it off. Although I do set boundaries. You do have the luxury of turning this off and, one thing my therapist said that really I'm like changed my life. I mean, clearly you have the luxury because it's your job. You cannot turn off like well, bad I could stories. quit my job, but right short of quitting my job, right. which I love. Um, I have to engage, but okay. but I've, I've figured out some different ways to engage. But um, this thing that my therapist told me that changed my life was how I approach social media and the news. We are for the most part really passive about how we engage with Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, unless we're doing something for our job. You know, I'll go on Twitter because I'm waiting in line for something. Mm -hmm. Or there's a commercial. You're like a tween. Well, no, I mean, it's just something to do. (laughs) And I don't ask myself why I'm there. Like, I've likened it to going into a grocery store. You don't go in and not know what you need and hope things jump into your cart. You know why you're there. (laughs) Yeah. Now I go on social media and I ask, what am I here for? Because I would go on to get news, but also to get affirmations. Like, are people saying nice things about me? Because I'd like, I'd like to hear some of right, that. Right. I want to find out what my friends are doing. But it was, sometime I would, I would just doom scroll. And without thinking about it, the algorithm is so powerful, it will give you what it wants, yeah. not what you want. And right. so now when I go on social media, or I turn on the news, I ask myself, what do I want here? And I'm not going to get anything else. So if I want to watch the news, because I, I really do want to know what's going on for the day, I don't have to watch this, you know, hours long repeats of the, the shows that go on cable news all day long. Can I just watch the A and B block maybe, like the first 20 minutes of the news and feel like I got some stories and then walk away? So it's a intentionality. And then what do you do on social media? How do you intentionally go through social media? Well, I have to ask, why am I here? Okay. And that mental check, okay, I'm here because I need the news and I know Uvalde, for example, it's going to be bad. It's going to be hard. But I'm mentally prepared for it. It's not going to happen to me yeah. while I'm sitting there getting my nails done. Well, that's you the know thing what I mean? The headlines happen to you. Maybe I just have to shut those off. Right. Because they're popping up on the, fu- on like the screen. Ignore, ignoring the headlines, you mean? Or just shutting off notifications. But then you don't know what's happened, right? Like you do want to know. Right. But I don't know, give I like yourself you the time and space. I'm going on now. And I know what I'm looking for. And I might not like all the news, yeah. but I'm not going to absorb it as if it's happening to me. I'm in, I'm in charge. And I do the, same, do the same thing with news, do the same thing with all of the information that we're, and stimulus that we're absorbing, um, which is much more than we ever have in decades past. So being more intentional has really changed the way I use all this stuff. That's good advice. That is really good advice from your therapist. Thank her for that. And thank you for that free advice. <laughs> Tell your kids. <laughs> Tell your kids. Because yeah. teaching kids about that, Absolutely. about being intentional on social media is like a really, it's the next, next front. That's so, yeah, what we're going to have to deal with. Tell us a little more about your family. So you're married to John, who I know and is lovely. Yes. And you have one child. I Jack. do. Jack. Yeah. How old is Jack? Jack is seven, turning eight um, in December. Awesome. He'll be the first to tell you. And oh. um, he's great. My, my husband grew up in New England. I grew up in New England. And so moving back to Darien was like coming home. And we wanted to raise our kid the way we were brought up, although <laughs> with, with much more <laughs> than we had growing as up. As right? you could get. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't grow up in a, you know, in a Darien, but we did grow up in... New England towns. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we just feel so lucky to be here, you know, near the water and with all the New England stuff that we love. How long have you been in town? Five years. Awesome. Yeah. And you chose Darien. I think we asked you this before, like one point off record, I asked you, I don't remember your answer. You made us answer that question on stage at the DCA. (laughs) I think it's a good one. um, (laughs) Because you think, well, why not Darien? But I mean, it it was a choice. Um, So I had lived in Manhattan for like 13 years. Right. And then I moved to DC for um, a CNN show. My husband was there. My, my husband-to-be was there. Um, then I had to move back up for a different show for CNN. And so we could choose. Do we want to move up to the city? He did not. And I already done that. Mm-hmm. And so then it was, 
okay, north or east. We're not going west or south. Um, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to fall into the same trap those did about New Jersey. Just be careful. Right. That's, right. That's right. I remember that. Um, Super fan of you, New Jersey. Just putting that out there. Wink, wink. <laughs> My mom's from New Jersey, yeah. but it, that was not for us. Yeah. Um, We're going to do a free ad for New Jersey next time. <laughs> you might have to. Gosh. So we looked in Westchester and then one of my best friends growing up um, grew up in Darien. And so I was real familiar with the town. I said, let's check it out. And we fell in love for yeah. all the reasons. Yeah. Schools, everything. The little town, it's 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 not too big. You know, no offense to Greenwich, but it takes me an hour to get from one end to the other. Painful. The traffic's insane. I, I That's not what I wanted. Right. Um, so it checked all the boxes and we couldn't be happier. Well, you mentioned also Jack has special needs and I've heard, I've heard mixed things about a special needs program, but for the most part I've heard like on a scale of, uh, if you're looking at the yeah. country, we probably have one of the best special really needs programs good. in the country, AKA in the world. I'm right? so impressed okay. with the way his team at his school, um, have handled his, um, challenges and worked with us and pointed out things we didn't know. You know, I mean, they're on it. They are completely on that's top great. of it. Did you screen him or did the school pick up on they stuff? They did. You, they did. They yeah. found it. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. oh, that's promising news. It was great. I have no complaints. We're early in to this um, with him, but it's been it's been great. He's in exactly the right place, which is just fortuitous. You know, I'm so glad because it isn't that. the same everywhere. Yeah. No, no. I know people have moved to town from all over the world, actually, because to of it. Be here for the special ed program. And I'm so happy to I hear when it. it's a good story. I know yeah. some people have had a hard time, but it's for the most part good. And that's great. Yeah. And then we got to do we feel lucky. an episode on that. Mm -hmm. Hey, so go back to about how about you talked about how we approach the news. Um, and since Taylor and I, we're not really news, but I would consider us, I don't know, what are we, Taylor? What would you consider us? Oh I know Essie's going to have a great word for it, so that's why I'm asking you first what we consider before we ask her. Oh, but I mean, local. I don't know if I want to worry about what we are so much as I want to frame out her career and experience. And Right, right, right. Well, we talked, I was going to say, we were, I was thinking about us being like, local journalism of some of a local voice local media and i, yeah, I like well a there's forum. a thing called community journalism okay. and that's kind of what you guys are doing um you know you don't you don't have to like go to j school to be a journalist you just have to have certain methods um and methodology where you yeah, any source any things. fool can buy a mic and start talking well yeah <laughs> look what's happening here <laughs> no but i mean I, because i know you and you've told me some of the things that you do to make sure your stories are accurate as accurate as they can be your guests are vetted you have an interest and curiosity in the community you would like to ask questions you do interviews you you offer equal time to political candidates I mean all this stuff you guys just figured out that is journalism and the fact that you're focused on your community and giving local businesses you know airtime that's community journalism that's a thing that that's a category that like gets awards and like the, okay, that's, so, a, that's a thing okay so this is why I wanted to bring it up it's like less about us I want to hear about like I've been so frustrated and I have to keep telling you this now because like, I've luckily gotten time with you now three times here that I'm so frustrated with journalism and media in the last couple of years I mean who is it I really think that's like the theme yeah and I, I told you like we even, do like, not trend well yes so yeah. what is up with you guys and define yeah. that yeah <laughs> What is up with us? Um, <laughs> no, I, I hear this all the time. And, and, and maybe, in my eye. and maybe you could, um, as you, yeah, you don't, don't, don't ruin your beautiful makeup with that eye. Well, maybe you could tell us, like you know, and, and part of me asking you to define us is because, like, maybe you could help define like the buckets of media and journalism because that kind of yeah. maybe helps me understand like why someone is like his opinions are annoying me. I don't want to hear your opinions, and where other ones are where times it is okay to hear opinions am i saying this right taylor you're looking at me like i'm no 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 i mean i think that's true right whenever you're listening to someone who you tend to agree with you like oh i love that show right <laughs> true, true. They, they only tell the truth they're doing it right you know <laughs> but um, i think in general i don't even want to hear anyone's opinion even if i agree with it i'm gonna just shut up and tell me the news it, it, but that's a different type of well and it's true. interesting because like i when we answered this question at the dca about you know our our take on journalism and whatever I, I refuse to pretend like I don't have an opinion. But at right. the same time, I want to create a space for dialogue and respectful dialogue around other people's opinions, right? Like, we don't yeah. have to agree. Right. Um, that's what I think's missing. I don't think there's much of a, like, balance. I think <laughs> you're, hitting on, you're hitting on two discrete things. The first is the lines are very blurry in, quote, unquote, news, especially on cable news. Um, who's doing what? Is this anchor 
giving me opinion because when you turn on the anchors on MS, CNN, Fox, it sure sounds like in primetime anyway, yeah. they're giving their opinions. Um, but I thought an anchor was supposed to be just straight news. Absolutely. Is this a reporter? What's an analyst? What does an analyst give you? What does a pollster do? What does an opinion journalist do? That's that's, that's my you. function. Yeah. Well, I use journalism, so hopefully I'm, I'm telling you the truth, but also giving you my opinion. And I'm honest about it. I, I tell you where I'm coming from, what my biases are. Mm-hmm. The problem is a lot of people don't tell you what their job is and where their biases are coming from. And so you're left as the news consumer trying to figure out what am I getting right now? Mm-hmm. And, and and I think that's a, that's a mistake that we make as an industry. We take for granted that as we've expanded exponentially, people are just still going to understand what all these different functions are. And I, I don't think we draw clear enough lines. That's one problem. The other thing you identified is that we don't, create spaces for civil, um, fair, balanced conversations. You get an anchor who's driving the primetime show on cable with his or her opinions, and they have guests on either that they totally agree with Mm -hmm. and will never challenge, or that they just want to make fun of. They just want to show the the audience how terrible this other side is. Who's producing? Isn't that the producer? Is the anchor making that decision or is it the producer behind the scenes? It depends. When the anchor is at a spot where they have their own primetime show, it's the anchor. Okay. But sometimes there are like these panel shows in the middle of the day and, um, you know, th- then that can be a producer deciding here's who the guests are going to be and here's how we're going to frame the show. And I used to have a show called Crossfire, and what we tried to yeah. do... I know Crossfire. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course. What we tried to do yeah. was have a balance. So, it, you know, it was me on the right, another co-host on the left, and then two guests hopefully representing two other sides. And having this back and forth in a civil way was really important to us. It didn't really rate well for viewers and so it it went off the air oh really yeah and i just don't think that's incentivized and i lament this all the time because i would love to have a show like that again and i've i i I have friends on the left and in the middle and even on the far right that i would love to sit down at a table with and talk do you think it would would resonate more now in this climate than it did a couple years ago this is what i hear i go to these you know i do speeches or whatever talks and everyone complains (laughs) about the temperature But they keep tuning in to the loudest voices in the room. Mm. And I say, listen, we're a business. We're supply and demand. If y'all wanted C-SPAN, we would do C-SPAN. You don't. You want, you know, the screaming, the shouting, the debates, the, you know. And so no surprise, we keep giving it to you. The Ricky Lakes. I can't stand it. (laughs) I can't stand it. And it is the sort of... I like Ricky, but like, you know, the, it's, it's more, more, more well, it's the Jerry Springer, Jerry Springer Jerry yes. and I like Jerry too. Um, <laughs> you know, I know all these people, people. but yeah. no, but it is like I mean, the Jerry Springer of news. The drama and sells. The what? The drama sells. It yeah. does. You are so much more identified now by your enemies than your friends. Oh, that's an interesting and statement. And we're so much more interested in identifying heretics than we are finding converts. It's just not why I got into politics. It's not why I got into news. And so I've been very disoriented and disappointed and depressed about the state of my business, you know? Well, it struggles to me. Like, I feel like it's now become on on the consumer to disseminate the truth and like a, a general you know, nightly news right. piece. And that's frustrating because I think most people are lazy and don't really want to like, aren't going to search the truth. And they're just going to kind of let it wash over them. And then, I, don't I mean, know. that's I a minimum. A uh, some people don't want the truth, right? Some people want the disinformation or the conspiracy or whatever on, on either side. So it's a, asking a lot of the news consumer to be a detective, chase down all the stories, make sure they're true, find a balanced, you know, I mean, they're not going to do that for all the reasons. And so it really is up to us to make it as clear as possible. This is what we're us, giving us. Us meaning you as, as a journalist, yes. as, as like a leading journalist, right? Like, yes. Yeah. Can you solve this problem? Will you change this? <laughs> I wish <laughs> I could. I'm not, I'm not that important. Can you start your own <laughs> station here? <laughs> I mean, listen, I, you know, I pitch, I pitch shows all the time to my network and others. Yeah. 
Because I, I develop other shows too for other, um, not other news or competes, but like A&E, Bravo, I develop other shows. I pitch projects like this all the time. Yeah. Because I'm willing. That's where I want to live. Yeah. I want to live in a place where we're starting from solving problems. Are you interested in solving a problem? So am I. Mm-hmm. We won't maybe dis- uh, agree on how we get there. But as long as you're interested in solving the problem, not beating people up, let's sit down and talk. That's mm-hmm. all I want to do. That's why I love Arthur Brooks. He's one of my so great. favorite like thinkers in the political realm. Which And he's not terribly political. I don't think he'd be happy to hear he was even referred to that way. But he's he has sat down, he tends to be more conservative and he has sat down and had like on stage interviews with some of his most liberal friends. And he's like, let's start with what we agree with that poverty is the greatest problem we are faced with. This is what we need to solve. We both agree that that's our goal. We disagree on how to do it. Now let's talk about our methods. Like I think we need to do X, Y, and Z. You think we need to do PQ and R. Let's debate those, the merits of this, but we're both trying to solve the same problem. And that's a beautiful thing. And I wish that was, and instead, it seems like the goal and the thing I was just searching for my phone, like I was reading today about Bill Russell, the yeah. basketball player who died. And there was a story about, you know, it sounds like even today they're trying to make him, you know, a lightning rod for <laughs> issues. And, of course. Um, but they talked about how he had given an interview once about uh, a property he'd bought overseas. And one of the interviewers or media people asked if he was going to leave the country. And, he, <laughs> and his response was, maybe I will. And his, the second part of that was because I'd get away from you or something like that. Gosh. And they only chose to publish the maybe I will part of it and they left the rest of it out. Like, oh gosh. It's so disingenuous. It's so disappointing. And that's like what we're stuck with, right? Like these are the people that were... Well, I'm glad you brought up Arthur because he's... Arthur Brooks is wonderful. And sometimes when I hear, you know, someone will say, well, that's why I like so-and-so and I hate to tell that person, that guy's an a-hole yeah or that lady's terrible i'm so glad i can tell you arthur brooks is the nicest kindest one of the smartest loveliest he seems like it people so everything he's writing about is real it's not to sell books it's not you know an affect oh he really believes it 100 percent. and it makes so much sense i don't care what what party you're registered to it just makes so much sense yep do you think cnn's getting it done for you what does that mean Uh, do you do you find them i don't leading the um the journalistic path that you want to follow in their in their choices and their production choices. Let's talk about your career. Can you sketch that out for us so everyone listening can get a feeling for what you've done? That's a good call. Yeah. Well, um, you've written a couple I, of books. I first, yeah. So I, I mean, I first started in journalism in college at the college newspaper, and that's where I fell in love with Cornell. This. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I went to Cornell. Just a little school on the East Coast. Have you heard of it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cornell. And so when I got a taste of that, working at a newspaper, I knew that was all I wanted to do. I wanted to write, and I didn't know if it was magazines or newspapers or books, but I wanted to write. And so when I left, I, I got some writing jobs and um, ended up at the New York Times for eight years. And while I was wow. there, I wrote my first book and got involved in politics. Um, and what was that called? It was called Why You're Wrong About the Right. And why you're wrong about the right. Yeah. yeah. What was the gist of that? Well, I was a young conservative living in liberal Manhattan, working at the liberal New York Times Mm. in a liberal field of journalism from liberal Boston, who went to a liberal Ivy League school. And everyone told me what conservatism was. I was the only one that actually, you know, belonged to it. Yeah. And so <laughs> like a white whale. <laughs> yeah. And they're all telling me what I am. Right. And how awful I am and what I believe in is. And I'm the one that's living it. So why don't you ask me what it's about? And so a, a friend of mine um, from college and I said, let's write a book dismantling some of these myths. And, you know, we weren't anybody. We just thought we'd do it. And so we did. Good for you. We got it published by Simon & Schuster. Oh. Um, and then they started putting us on TV to like promote it. And I just remember thinking like, who's they, the New York times? No, our publisher to promote the book booked us on TV. That's great. And I think the first one was morning Joe. <laughs> and again, uh-huh. heard of it. Do, you, uh, do you know, Have, do you know that show? It's a little show, but, um, that's the first show we did. And I remember thinking it was fun, easy, not stressful. And then I just kept getting called back to do more shows. And then, 
you know, then you're getting calls from CNN and then someone from Fox sees you. And then when you're unsigned, you can do it. You can go anywhere. And so I would do it all. I mean, I would do multiple hits a day and anyone that have, I would have me. And I was using TV to promote my writing. And meanwhile, I was, you know, looking for more writing opportunities. And then I got a column at the New York Daily News um, almost 11 years ago, wow, which is weekly. And now that's, you know, nationally syndicated. I wrote another book. Are you still writing for that? Yeah. That's the yeah. one you wrote. The, the yeah. Quote. 2021. Yeah. 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 Okay. So my, my New York Daily News column, every time I've left a job, I've always said, um, as long as I can keep writing and I can keep this column, I'll do whatever you want on television or radio or wherever they've wanted me. Because the writing matters to me. The TV's great, uh, but it's it's not as satisfying to me as the writing. So I I worked at Fox for a couple years. Then I got a show at MSNBC for a year. And then CNN picked me up for Crossfire in DC. Had that for a year. Then a couple years where I was um, just doing sort of on-air analysis for elections. And then got another show um, at HLN. And then that show moved over to CNN. And I had that up until the pandemic, which took the show off. That's the been air. like, that's been, oh, has that been 10 years? You've been at CNN longer? I've been at CNN for nine and a half years now. Okay. So yeah, wow. the longest so I've worked somewhere. Like what's the quick takeaway on your first book? Like what, it, why are we wrong about the right? Well, this was years ago. Um, we were wronger then. Yeah. <laughs> I think things have changed. It might, it might not be as applicable. Well, but you know what hasn't changed? What I believe in. Yeah. Right. All my conservative pr- principles are st- the same as they were then. Yeah. The party definitions have changed yeah. and the players leading. And that's not just Trump. I mean, the Tea Party came and really disrupted some of, you know, conservative orthodoxy in some very good ways. I think in some um, deleterious ways, the, the Democratic Party has changed significantly, too. So it's uh, stuff has changed around me, I feel like, which is really weird. Yeah, the labels have changed, that's for sure. Yeah, and our projects have changed. Like the stuff that I thought Republicans were really interested in, like lowering the debt and deficit, um, nobody cares. Nobody cares anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> that has gone away. Now we're raising it and nobody cares. It's bizarre, I think right? We're starting to now as we're seeing it like, <laughs> well, it's wild because Biden, in his announcement of one of his sweeping billion dollar pieces of legislation <laughs> is saying and Which one? I'm gonna lower the debt and the deficit and I said, what? I said wow, wow things have changed wow <laughs> pull out your wizard sleeve and wave that wand no but I'm glad someone's <laughs> talking about it that's important and Republicans aren't talking about it so I'm glad someone is trying to address that even if it's not my party you know yeah so it's but, just been weird I've, I've kind of operated through all of this change and I'm still here but why we're wrong about the right? I mean, that's a different topic and question and book today. Taylor's always said that by her, also too about her values. Like you know, she's been like a strong conservative, you know, outspoken person here in Darien, which is for better or worse <laughs> in her life and friendships here. But um, I feel like you've oh, you said to me when I first met you, and you said that, you know I believe in these values and convictions. Like no matter like where the party's going or the people representing it, these are still my values. So yeah. I stand behind them, and it's kind of what you're saying. I mean, I I don't see a lot of that anymore. I feel like. First of all, the parties have gotten so extreme and everything's a purity test and they keep purifying yes, and condensing yes. and purifying and purifying. Yeah. I've likened it to, remember when we were growing up, you'd get these cans of frozen orange juice concentrate yes. and they're like syrupy and icy and you put oh, them in a pitcher yeah. and you add water, right? Mm-hmm. I forgot. The goal that. is to add water to make them bigger, right? The parties are not adding water. They are just condensing and condensing. And they're only interested in the most loyal, pure voters. And if you're not pure enough, you're like kicked out. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's so unfortunate. I mean, this I almost can't even engage right now with the Roe v. Wade situation because, yeah. I mean, to me, it's not, and I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but I'll, I'll say it on air. Like I, it's not, abortion is not right in every case and it's not right in no cases. Uh-huh. So by definition to me, the answer is somewhere in the middle and that's why it's so hard. But I don't see how anyone can get comfortable at either end of the extreme on that. But you are not alone. And I, I said something about this and then um, I wrote something about this for Oprah's online she has an online thing called Oprah, the Oprah Daily. 
I wrote about this because she was really fascinated in this idea that like, uh, I'm, I'm pro-life. I don't believe that Roe should have been overturned. I'm somewhere in the middle, like most people, I'm in the majority, and yet I feel completely unseen mm. by our political right. parties. Right. But it's not just abortion, right? Like most people on abortion, they want legal abortion, but they want some restrictions. The loudest people on the right want no abortions. The loudest people on the left want no restrictions. They're representing fringe minorities. Yes, like a tiny percentage. So here in the, in the middle, where most of us live, no one's talking to us. And it's not just on abortion. It's on guns. It's on immigration. It's on name your issue. Yeah. The parties that are supposed to represent us are talking to the far extremes about stuff very few people actually want, leaving the rest of us like orphans. Like who who, who is yeah, speaking not for really us? Representing anyone anymore? Right. LGBTQ stuff too. <laughs> Same thing. I mean, it's it's sad that you know we're even still having that conversation. Like, I mean, didn't we write over two hundred years ago that we were all created equal? Like, this is so bizarre <laughs> that we're talking. I said this the other day on the air. Like, I can't believe I'm talking about. Not just overturning like Obergefell and gay marriage, but we're talking about interracial marriages now, maybe not being okay with some people. Like, what <laughs> century I know, are we am I in? <laughs> Who's talking about that? Oh, I mean, with, with Roe being overturned, there's language yeah. that could be used oh, come on. to make illegal interracial marriage and gay marriage. Country and and but I'm what I feel like I'm in a time machine. I thought that I thought that like a year ago, two years ago, when multiculturalism came back and we started looking at people by like in my mind it was skin color. I'm like, wait a minute, whoa! Like, not that we are colorblind, but I'm like, are we going back? I thought it felt like we were going back to defining people by that one attribute, and I was like, this feels backwards to me. I mean, it's but it is happening. It's very disorienting. I don't, I don't want to guess your guys' age, but I, I, you know. I was born in 1979. I have never known a world without Roe. I grew up knowing gay people. I grew up in, you know, mixed race communities. And this was never a thing until people people on both sides started making it a thing. And I, I like the only thing. And it's just so um, anachronistic and hard for me to understand where we are politically you know, interesting. now i was actually having a conversation the other day that i i have hope i will say like i have to find hope somewhere right i have yeah. hope for this new generation that's kind of coming of age now that was born in a difficult time right they were born yeah. this generation i think their generation z was born between 1997 and 2012 and i did a little research on them and they they were born obviously right when the Twin Towers fell right. and the financial crisis hit parents lost their jobs you know their home homes. values were upside down right. and um, suicide bombings and I mean just one thing after another now COVID right these kids right. have had a hard time mm -hmm. so yeah we're seeing a lot of mental health issues with them <coughs> I also think that they are probably fed up with the navel gazing of you know the older generations who are sitting on retirement plans mm -hmm. comfy as can be uh -huh. and want to pay attention to things that are not moving the needle for their quality of life mm -hmm. and I hope that they're gonna look around and go like all right guys Let's get serious. Let's focus on right. the things that really matter again and treat each other kindly. I mean, there, there never has been a more accepting generation of one another, yeah. which is wonderful. And I think they're also the biggest one coming. So I have a lot of hope. Yeah. They're big, they're powerful, they're, they're open-minded. And I think they are very well grounded in, you know what? Life is tough sometimes and we're going to have to work together. We're going to have to yeah. keep our eye on the ball. Yeah. So let's... Let's all say a prayer that works out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're counting on you, kids. Yeah, I was like, I, I don't know if I've met a lot of these kids, but I'm excited to see them somewhere. Let's advertise this one at the high school. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. And I will, hopefully, I think we were going to try to get some kids in and you know, talk to them, younger kids, talk to them about mental health. Maybe we can, you know, oh, good. I do want to know good. what's going through their heads. Yeah. yeah that was actually your, your ideas, Essie, when we, we talked to you. Well, I think it's really important. So I did a panel before we all met. Um, at a counseling center in Westchester. And it was, I was on the panel, two therapists were on a panel, and this 19-year-old girl was on the panel. And so she and I were the, you know, the patients talking about what we've been going through, and then there were two therapists, and then an audience. Yeah. And let me tell you, every person in that room wanted to hear from the 19-year-old, because they're all parents. Yeah. And they wanted to know, 
what are you know what should we look for what are the signs what are we doing wrong what do we miss you know they want the secret language the secret code to cracking mental illness absolutely for for their kids i do too so right so because i can express very i think clearly what i'm going through what yes. i need right yes. and they can't kids don't know how and they don't know why they're feeling this way right. and there's a million reasons some of it's chemical some of it really needs medication some of it's um, circumstantial. I mean, there's a million things that could be going on. And so I think it's vital that we engage our kids, mm -hmm. give them some language to use to talk about this and create a space where they feel like this is okay. And part of that is having these conversations where adults are, are modeling how to talk about it. It's okay. It is normal. And we can help you. We can help you. It is not a hopeless situation. Oh, I think it, even having this podcast, thinking about that, like I was a little reticent to this. My husband, when we first came on the podcast, he said, I don't know if I want you doing this. And I was like, really? Why? He's like, Liz, like, you know, it was, by the way, it was coming out in like the, heat, the most heated time yeah. of COVID when everyone's tensions were higher than ever, right? Yeah. Things have started to calm a little bit. But, um, and I said, why? He's like, like you're going to be part of public scrutiny and face like mm -hmm. negativity. And I don't know if you can handle that. Uh, you? The, yeah. He didn't think you could handle that. Yeah, I oh, mean, I I've mean, known you for like five minutes, and you definitely can. She's a strong girl. Yeah, I guess. I, don't, I mean, it still hurts, though. I mean, yeah. I definitely feel like I've lost some friends, and I've definitely heard of, you know people saying negative stuff about me they don't even know. I, I, not to get into all that, but mm -hmm. I think it's been at the same time. It's been therapeutic being able to kind of talk in the more tone. I do the podcast, the more we're able to. We're getting comfortable about sharing your own opinions. Good, um, yeah. but kind of like you do, you do it, you do it so easily and confidently, and well. I think we're getting there. But like, it is therapeutic in a way to like say you know I, I don't know if we're ever talking to anybody like like that someone's responding to it but um isn't it also empowering you kind of learn who your friends are through the process yeah, yeah. but you also learn what you care about mm -hmm. you learn what's important to you and how far you're willing to go to stand up for that I find that really empowering and when I feel like people are coming at me mm -hmm. I don't enjoy it but okay well maybe I am doing something mm-hmm important, you know, quote unquote, important. If it's um, controversial enough that someone's really upset about it. Mm -hmm. um, because I'm not the only one who feels this way. So I'm sure I am standing up for some position somewhere, some people somewhere. And so, you know, I mean, this is my job. So I have to find ways to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. But if you continue and get more sort of um, brave, you know, in your in your willingness to, to go there, I think you will find it empowering. Not to like uh, genderize, is that a word? Genderize this conversation? <laughs> sure, why not? I'm making up words. Come on, you're the I writer like here. Go I like it. Use it in your next piece. Okay. <laughs> no, I'll sound like a fool is. Um, but like, do you think women um, wear that that weight more? Like a man can go out there and share his opinion more easily and like, I don't know if they face less scrutiny if they're able to roll it off more so than like three women having that conversation or is that a stereotype? Well, in my business... Listen, women get a different kind of attention than men get. Men are scrutinized. Men get death threats. I mean, they get the same stuff we do. We get additional stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Sexual stuff, uh, rape fantasy stuff. Um, it's a different layer that they do not have to deal with for the most part. Did you say rape? Rape. Rape fantasies. Oh, rape. Yikes. Yeah, we, we get those. I mean, if you're a woman on TV, it doesn't matter if you're str sharing strong opinions. You, you're just a woman on TV. You're going to get unwanted attention in one way or another. Yeah. Because they hate you or they love you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's really, for the most part, a thing that guys don't have to deal with. So, you know, you have, yeah, as a woman, you have to be strong and prepared for that kind of stuff. When, mm. when you first introed and you were like, I didn't find a sex tape. Yeah. online I, didn't Sorry. Say that. Yeah. I said that we all know that I said that not Taylor but a, a few years ago I don't know if you know Hustler magazine of course he doesn't know Hustler we grew up in the 90s right 80s. okay come on so Larry Flint right when he was alive um they photoshopped a penis in my mouth no who's that like Hustler with the headline, what would Essie Cup look on. like with a D in her mouth? Really? Are you allowed to do that without like... Fact check, yes. Did because, you sue them? No, because it's Larry Flint. He knows exactly what he's doing. Can get away with. 
And um, look, they had done it to Hillary Clinton. The same thing. What would Hillary Clinton look like with a D in her mouth? And so you're like, all right, I'm Hillary Clinton. <laughs> I've, I've, I've hit that level of... <laughs> I mean, the, I, what I thought was good was they explained why they didn't like my politics. Oh, it had to do with them? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, that was real honest. And so, like, sometimes misogyny isn't that honest, right? And so you can find that image online. And that sucks. That kind of treatment. I promise I did not. No, I mean, you'd have to look for it. It's not like the first thing that comes up, luckily. But, you know, stuff like that, that kind of misogyny happens to women. But how do you let that roll off you? Like, I feel like men might be better at, like, letting that, like, if something bad happens to my husband, he gets in a fight, like, he's like, he gets mad, he's like, all right, whatever. And he doesn't give it an SH the next day. He doesn't care. Yeah. I will think about it for a while. So will I. Oh, you will? Yeah. Yeah. Still after 20 years, longer than 20 20 years in business. Really? Yes. Uh, yeah. Do you, Taylor? Sorry, by the way. <clears throat> well, I mean, I think there's something to be said for like the layering of things that happen, right? Like, and especially for somebody like right. you who's in it every day and it just keeps coming and coming. Like, you can let so m- only so much roll off before. I mean, there's even if you let 95% of it roll off, there's still 5% that's accumulating. I think that's a really good point. The layering. I like how you said that because that's, that's, that is what it is. It's, that's not the only incident, you know. There's been a ton of incidents because we're, you know, I'm a woman in this business. And so there's sexual harassment. There's all kinds of stuff. And it keeps layering on top. And so, of course, I think about it. Yeah. Mm. Of course, it gets to me. Not enough to quit my job. Well, and that circles us back to why you see a therapist. (laughs) A hundred percent. We talk about all that. Yeah. And some of the treatment I've had to deal with or fend off, um, you know, over the past 20 years, you know. That's like the hustlers, like the least of it, frankly. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I, I, it does not roll off me. And I can make a joke and say, well, some women work their lifetime to try to be a hustler. Yeah, Look right. at you. You've done it. Good job. Without even trying. <laughs> Without even trying. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Can I ask you two fun questions as we wrap up here? Yeah. Like funnier, like later ones. I want to know who your like media idols are or who are some of the, the best, the most people you've loved, the famous people you've met that you've loved most. That's only one of my questions, by the way. That's a combined single question. Okay. <laughs> I like it. Um, you know, I have a lot of favorite, favorite people in this business. Um, Jake Tapper is someone I really admire uh, because he's, he's like an old school journalist. He puts in the work and I really respect him. Uh, but Bill Maher, <laughs> I've done his show a lot. He's on fire right yeah, now. He's wow. so funny. Right now. I, what I love about him is he's, I think he's unpredictable. And even though we disagree a lot, he will always create the space for me to say what I want and he will respectfully push back or disagree or challenge me and sometimes even agree. That's awesome. That's a gift that he takes me seriously enough to do that. And so I've gone on that show more times than I can count. Yeah, you're there at least yearly, annually, right? Twice a year. Twice a year, that's right. I, I don't know how many times I've been on because I love that he gives me that space and treats me respectfully. I'm not just some conservative chick or some, you know, I am at the table because he wants me there. Yeah. And so I really admire him and plus just his longevity in this business. Mm-hmm. I mean, through multiple shows, politically incorrect, real time, he really knows how to stay with the zeitgeist and and be relevant through yep. all of it. So yeah, he's a he's a favorite. That's cool. Oh, that's really neat. And he's like famous people you've met that come across that like are like stand out like ever met Lana, like you mentioned Hillary Clinton a second ago. I don't know. Like anyone like that's she's not come, my fave. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't like you come across I don't know you say, oh like you also did you know, Arthur Brooks. You've met you've done it. Yeah, I mean uh, yeah if they've been on cable news I've met them you know like because yeah. they just cycle through I, I was a big fan I'm still a big fan of of Paul Ryan he's a really smart guy uh, he went to Miami of Ohio right is that the right way no I think it's someone different I think he's a different politician I Wisconsin isn't he he's Wisconsin I don't oh, think he sorry. went to Miami okay. Ohio, but okay. it's possible okay. he was speaker of the house um, up until Trump um, through Trump a little bit and then and then not yeah. um, he, he's great I thought he was really smart and thoughtful um but, uh, you know, there's a guy I do a lot of TV with. He's on CNN. He's far left. He's progressive. His name is Van Jones. Um, I adore him. I adore him. I was going to ask you what you thought of We him. agree on nothing. <laughs> just about nothing. 
But he's one of those people who wants to solve problems. And so I go on his podcast and we talk about abortion or I have him on my show and we talk about immigration, whatever, because we just want to solve some problems. I love but you're respectful. Is that the difference? Like, how, what is the... Well, he's not... Key. We're not going to do ad hominem with each other and cut each other down. And he'll say stuff on his show like, this is why I love Essie Cup and why I want my liberal guests to hear from her. What a generous sure. statement. Yeah. And I, I do the same, you know, um, because even though he might not lo- like my solution... He's interested in this, my approach to it or, or whatever. So finding people like that in this business has been key for me. My fulfillment, my happiness, my faith in this whole project. We know, touched on faith. Yeah, quote unquote, right. Uh, but yeah, so I adore him. Folks like that who surprise you, you know, and want, want to, to have those conversations. Uh, they're hard to find. And I love when I do. Exactly. I mean, that was the thing I, I, I never really described Arthur Brooks. But, you know, it's like, do you give a man a check or do you give a man a job? Right. Right. And he would say you give a man a job. Right. Makes him happier. And others would, you know, say, no, you should give them the money and give them a chance to do something else with it. And there, those are two very legitimate perspectives. And if you respect each other and talk about the pros and cons, you get somewhere. And you probably have the same goal in mind, mm-hmm. which is to help someone. Exactly. Right. You have to be willing to have those conversations and talk to your quote unquote enemy or the opposition or the other side without fetishizing the disagreement. Right. Let's fetishize where we can come together. Right. We don't do that enough. Yeah. There's not enough appetite yet, but I'm hoping again, hoping the next generation wants to find solutions more than drama. (laughs) Me too. If people want to hear more from you, how do they go? How do they access your show? Where do they go? Um, Well, Unfiltered is on CNN.com and um, you can go to the New York Daily News for my weekly column. Um, I also write for the New York Times and Glamour and other places now and then. So I love it. Um, And then I'm Essie Cup on Twitter and Instagram. I like that. Okay. (laughs) How did you meet your husband? How does a successful woman meet their husband? I've always been fascinated by this. You're working all the time. I met him. It's a very um, traditional story. We were both at the Republican National Convention in 2008. <laughs> I, I didn't realize, by the way, you're a conservative person. In this new media outlet, I would see you more left. I'm surprised. Of course you would. Yeah, of course. Okay. Of course you would. I know. But I would blow your mind if we talked about the policies <laughs> I support. Um, <laughs> okay, so you're at the Republican National Convention. Yeah, didn't see that coming. Okay. In Minneapolis. <laughs> so he, at the time, was an NRA lobbyist. No way. Wow. Yep. And I was promoting my first book. And so I was, you know, at the convention and it was McCain and you scared off half our audience already right now. I am and sure. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I have no doubt. Officially tuned out. <laughs> um, he doesn't do that anymore. But, I think it's great. Uh, and so we were in similar circles and he lived in Washington and I lived in New York and we met and, you know, we were, we were friends for a while because we were both in other relationships and then a few years later, we were like, you know, let's let's quit pretending that we're not into each other and very quickly decided to be in a relationship. A year later, we got engaged. A year later, we got married. A year later, we had Jack. And it all just kind of worked out. It felt like it was kind of meant to be. Game on. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it helped that like we were both in politics. Yeah. And then he left the hill and... No, he, he he was in PR, um, and he was like a press, um, he was spokesman for people in Congress, and then um, left the Hill, and now he does corporate PR, and um, which is nice. We don't we don't have to live and breathe politics yeah. together yeah. anymore. You know. All right, that's good. Well, it's inspiring too. I, I think a lot of women are getting later and later getting married, and they're following their careers. So it's nice to find someone who's doing it. Like, see, you can still meet people. Even if you have to dip your pen in the company ink. Even if you have to go to a political convention to do it. Yeah. And, and, and lobby for guns, you can meet. Right? Well, I mean, nothing like a political convention to at least identify some shared values. Right? Yeah, like, definitely got me excited. Yeah. <laughs> Turned on. Yeah. So funny. Uh, thank you so much for being with us tonight. It was thank so you, great girls. to have you. girls. I love that you do this. And thanks for having me on. I'm really honored. Oh, we're so grateful. And we're, lo- yeah, we're, we're lucky honored. to have you in town. Oh, I'm I'm lucky to be here, and I hope you know we'll we'll cross paths again. Yeah, if we will, we're gonna see you on the street. Essie, okay, it's good. us. 
<laughs> beep, beep, beep. Wait, wait, remember? It's a small town, girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. <laughs>